Gutter Boys, episode five, five and a half, because we uh, lost the episode we recorded earlier in the week. Uh, this is Cam on that sick Rage Against the Machine beatbox in the background. We got JB. What's up, man? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have you been up to, man? Um, just, you know, fucking chilling, hitting that Chiba, you know, legalize it. Uh, no, I've just been working on uh, some stuff to get ready for C2E2. Uh, which is uh, this coming up this weekend, or sorry, no, next weekend, right now, it's this weekend, uh, which is uh, March 16th, uh, Emerald City's going on right now, which is a four-day event, and that's fucking crazy, right? Four-day event cons, That's that seems like a bit much. Um, is it always four days? I think it's a recent thing in the last couple of years. It's That's definitely kind okay. of a thing that we're seeing. Like, it's a trend. More cons are doing four-day events, and that's dumb. Anyway, uh, yeah, so just getting ready with that. Uh, as you already know, we are sliding into SPX. Um, we got to play the Wolfpack theme. Back-to-back lottery winners, Woo! baby. Yeah, that's going to be good. We're going to have the whole Gutter Gang crew there, right? Do that roll call, baby. Yeah, Come it'll on. be uh, it'll be uh, me, you. We've got Dylan, aka Drug Dogs, the uh, you know guy that just sold out a T-shirt for Virtual Pros. So I guess we're gonna let him foot the bill for the entire oh, yeah. trip. Shout out to Rich um, Mike now. Definitely shout out to those guys again. Uh, we've also got Blake coming with us as normal. Uh, Patrick Ian Rooks will be there and. Uh, I should have asked him how to pronounce his last name. We still we don't know how to do that. Do last we? time we, yeah, but Nick Cookway or Cuckway, I got to figure out how to pronounce that, Nick. So I'm going to DM you and figure that out because, uh, you know, or, you as know it what? gets closer. Listeners, if you know how to say his last name, email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we need some emails because, uh, you know, we want to see how you guys feel about this stuff. Feel free to disagree with us, too. Uh, we're yeah, going to try please. to dunk on you as much as possible. But, you know, yes. any kind of thought-provoking email would be nice. So, once again, that's gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. What are you uh, working on for C2E2? What are you going to have? Is that Ashcan still coming out? Yeah, the Ashcan, I am actually going to be getting that today in the mail, according to this uh, United Postal Service tracking mm-hmm. number. Okay. Uh, shout out to all the men and women out there working at the United States Postal Office. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a shitty job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's it sucks. I, I have friends that work there and um seems like it's not easy. So uh, and I understand, you know, that's like a common complaint, right? Especially with people who do self-publishing, right? They They have to go and go to the post office, their local neighborhood post office and like deal with the post office on a pretty regular basis. Fucking hate and, that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the major complaints yeah. is, oh, they were rude, or oh, they didn't know what they were doing. It's just like, look, if that was me on the other side of that, I would have just spit on your face. <laughs> like, let's Fuck. be honest, all of us would. Like, that job sucks. I think the deal. only part that would be like nice about that is maybe being a carrier. Like, if it was nice outside and you had like a really cool little neighborhood to walk through, that wouldn't be that bad. Maybe it would be, but I mean, I, you know, I you're mean, by yourself walking around. Could be that bad. Yeah. And again, that definitely depends on where you're living and what time of the year it is. 
Right. No, in the winter. I mean, my dad actually works for FedEx, like delivering packages now. Um, and yeah, he fucking hates it during the winter because, you know, they got to get stuff out. And yeah, uh, but he's not even on foot. No, he well, he has a van and then he has yeah. to like take shit to people's houses. Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and like drop it off. So right. uh, but yeah, no, it's not like he's walking blocks and stopping at every house. That would be pretty tedious. You couldn't even really, I guess, get your heart rate up at that point because it's like three steps later. I mean, kind of. You're going pretty briskly. Home. You're you're going at a at a rate. I mean, I don't know. the The guy that I that used to be my um back when I uh lived in a different part of Pilsen, mm-hmm. like uh, no joke, like maybe two and a half blocks in the other direction. Okay. Um, my postal service guy that would do my block was like one of the coolest fucking guys. We would always mm-hmm. just like talk and hang out and chill and just like genuinely one of the nicest people that you could just like randomly meet on the street. And, uh, the fact that I got to see him five, to- five, to- uh, days out of the week was really cool. So I don't know what I'm saying is, is like, get to know your local postal worker, get to know the person that runs your block. And, um, if you go to the postal service office, uh, I don't know, try not being a dickhead. Uh, it, it'll do wonders for you. And also the next time you go in there, because you absolutely will have to go back in there at some point, they'll actually treat you nicely. It's, it's crazy. It's this whole concept where if you give someone respect, they actually give it back in return. Isn't that a wild concept? I don't know, man. I don't respect anybody. That's true. Me neither. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I respect everybody, but talking about mailing shit out, this is actually pretty good. Uh, do you have a disclaimer on your web store? on like something like please allow x amount of time for shipping do you put that on your web store uh usually it depends if it's like a pre-order kind of situation and people are paying in advance then yes and, okay. I'll, and I'll add more time to it than i would then then i would likely receive it just to be on the safe side so for non-pre-order items do you have like a disclaimer at all no, because if you don't understand how the postal service works and you don't understand what you know priority package shipping is i don't know what to tell you Well, like, okay, so one of my biggest gripes, you know, is when someone orders something and it's literally the next day and they're like, hey, did this ship out yet? And it's like, motherfucker, I have a job and a real life too, but they don't know that. And I'm happy they bought my books, but I put a disclaimer on my site that's like, please allow one to two weeks to ship because I hate going to the post office and just shipping out like one thing. I like to let orders kind of pile up and I'm not even getting like a super amount of orders, you know, if a book's not new. You know, it's just kind of random uh, what comes in, what comes out. Um, but, you know, I put a little disclaimer on there because at least if somebody emails me, I'm like, well, on the site, it says, please allow one to two weeks to fulfill orders. And that's yeah. just because sometimes I get lazy. Sometimes no, I want to, you know, it's, so it's smart. That's a smart idea. I mean, I'm in with my day job since I work in NBC Tower. They got like a I got like a whole uh, uh, fuck. What, what are words? Um, they have like a whole area like a facility just handling mail so i can just drop off all my packages for that you know five five times out of the week i can just drop it off into the into the little slot thing and then it's fine so i don't really nowadays i don't even go to the local post office anymore i mean i used to i -hmm. I had to go pretty often but nowadays i rarely go just because i can just drop it off before i clock into work and it's super convenient for me also, just a little tip for the post office. If you ship media mail, sometimes I'll ship media mail, you know, because it's supposed to take like seven days. Usually it's a lot quicker than that. But if you make comics and you tell them it's media mail because they ask not the post office what you're shipping. And uh, I fucked up one time and I said, oh, it's a comic book. And they were like, well, this is technically a periodical because comics come out 
on a monthly schedule. So you can't ship it media because it's a monthly periodical document. And I was like, well, my comics come out once or twice a year. Can I please ship media mail? And they were like, uh, no, first class or priority only. <laughs> That's a really weird way to interpret an entire medium based on like a couple of companies and how they distribute it. Right. right. So now what I do is it, when they ask me what it is, I've wisened up um, if I'm shipping media um, and I'm like, oh, they're picture books for children. <laughs> because... I've always said books. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Books. But, yeah. But at the same time, I never really use media mail anymore because it's a waste of time. Uh, and the only time I do media now is when I first put a book out, because usually that's when like I get a lot of orders in the first week or two of it being out. And just to kind of save myself, my, save myself shipping, I always go media. Um, you know, it kind of sucks, but usually if it's like orders that just trickle in, I'm going first class for you. Uh, two to three yeah, days, I always, but I always do first class and I always mm -hmm. charge for first class. So if See, you want to play that, if you want to pay for priority, fine by me, go ahead and do it and I'll ship it priority. But like first class default, that's how much, you know, I'm going to put in. I always fuck up on how much, cause I use big cartels. So, um, it asks yeah, how much you want for shipping yeah, and I just, it, I'm like, yeah. you know, $3. And then like I get to the post office and it's like three fifty seven to ship. So I'm like, fuck. And I'm always screwing myself over, uh, when it comes to yeah, charging gotta, on shipping. You got to get on that Shopify. It, it automatically calculates it for you using your oh, stamps nice. account. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just don't like have, I've thought about getting a stamps account, but I only have volume like volume volume it a couple times a year when yeah. a book comes out well i mean the i use i don't i mean i have a stamps account via sh the um ship station account that i have and uh that makes more sense for me only because i'm shipping i mean i don't even ship my own products that much anymore and when i do mm -hmm. it's usually the friends and family and stuff i if anything it helps me save some money on when i need to ship stuff just in general because i still get that discount right so, are you sending hardware to your family and your comics? Uh, no, because the hardware stuff's all handled uh, by uh, Joe. I don't. I don't really handle uh, fulfillment most of the time. I don't do that. Gotcha. It'd be really cool if uh, your parents were just decked out in Shibata shirts. Do they have them? No. no. Okay. I well. no. <laughs> I mean, my my dad and my mom would have no idea what to do with that. I mean, they would probably wear it, but. I mean, they got clothes. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't. You would just come home and they would greet you at the airport, uh, you know, in your Shibata shirts. That would be a very sweet and heartwarming image to come home to, right? Yeah, fuck that. I don't <laughs> want that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not all about that shit. No. Oh, shit. All right. I'm just fucking no, with dude, you. I'm a, um, a cold ass fucking dude, man. Anyway. Speaking of cold, it's cold in Chicago. And that's where Actually, you live. It's starting to warm up. but Yeah, it's starting continue. to warm up here, too. But. I was trying to segue into our next segment on the show, I which was that uh, shit right yeah, out of here. You just get block that shit. That shit. Get this yeah. my house. <laughs> so one thing we want to talk about is, uh, you know, JB lives there in Chicago and I live here in Louisville. And um, we're going to kind of just talk about the differences between living in a town that is really renowned for the cartoonists that live there in Chicago. And then in Louisville, there's hardly a scene at all. So kind of just talk about the differences between making art or comics, you know, in different scenes, like a smaller town versus a bigger city. So, uh, you moved to Chicago, what, four or five years ago, six years. How long have you been there? Uh, a little over six years. Six now, years. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. uh, you moved there from Florida and were you making yep. comics like before you came to Chicago or did you start while you're in Chicago? Uh, I started in Chicago. I okay. actually, um, 
The only time I was actually making a comic in Florida was when I was in probably elementary school for for like a a summer arts art course that I took. Um, it was like part of like some program in conjunction with the art museum and the library there, because uh, I was a real dork and just like fucking hung out at the library all the time. So yeah. Did your library at least stock comics? Uh, I actually don't remember because when I was the only stuff I was actively reading and and um checking out was just like uh books on like fucking like ghosts and dinosaurs and cryptozoology stuff because i was a weirdo so that's all i <laughs> that's all i fucking read when i was hanging out at the library well that and like um history stuff but yeah mostly it was stuff like that like you mm-hmm. know and it would be the same books too about dinosaurs <laughs> there's only so much you can learn about you know fucking archaeopteryx until you're just like yeah i i kind of already know this okay do you think dinosaurs have feathers or scales do, do I think? Yeah, what do you think? Because, like, like, you know, my the, opinion? well, you know, because, like, the Jurassic Park <laughs> dinosaur looks like a giant lizard, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of studies now are saying that dinosaurs were just giant birds and they had feathers all over them. Where do you stand yeah, on I that? Yeah, I mean, they, scientists already knew that when Jurassic Park was made. Well, you know, I like to believe that a T Rex looks like a giant lizard thing, but what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's like fossil evidence that the T Rex had feathers, like down feathers. They weren't completely covered head to toe in them, but they did have like these, these like weird, um, why are we talking about this? Anyway, <laughs> uh, back to being in a city, <laughs> we can talk, we can do dinosaur chat. My other podcast on our um, Patreon dinosaur chats. Yeah. 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 Patreon content. Um, no, but, but uh, no, 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 it yeah, back I, on course. I only started doing comics in Chicago and it was actually about three years living in, mm-hmm. in, um, in the city that I actually started doing it. I think I kind of touched on that in in a previous episode, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, this local guy found me on a toy forum Yep, and he made, he made toys. Yeah. I think I talked about that. I don't know if it was in the the, the episode that we lost. It may have been. (laughs) I I think, I I think it was actually, because we were talking about your first time at C2E2. So yeah, let's, let's let's tell that story. Let's do the John Cena thing where he rewinds what he said. Um, So yeah, so C2E2 was my first convention that I ever tabled at. And I had no idea what, or what was in store for me at, at an event like this. Um, and yeah, so I, I basically had to <laughs> make a comic and some zines in about a month and a half time to prepare because um, uh, the guy, Ben Spencer, by the way, he, uh, he, he goes under the tag Galaxor, so check out his toys. Um, but he kind of last minute was just like, Hey, you want to be on my, in my booth and, and table? And I was like, yeah, cool. Uh, what, what am I going to do? And he's just like, I don't know. You can sell like your stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. I don't have any stuff. So I guess I should make stuff. <laughs> and so I started making zines and comics and, uh, buttons. I actually started making lo- um buttons and got them produced luckily through a, a local company here in Chicago, busy beaver shout out. I better get paid for that fucking plug. Um, you know, what's crazy. It's like, uh, They've been around for quite a while, right? Busy Beaver? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, because uh, I remember like when we were like young punk kids, like 10 years, uh, I guess 15 years ago, they were a company and some bands that I knew went through them. That's crazy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely um, kind of a mainstay. Um, and they've grown mm-hmm. quite a bit in the last couple of years. So anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. So and, uh, with C2E2, uh, that kind of got me into the whole uh, mode of tabling. And we were we were in kind of this other area that wasn't exactly Artist Alley. It was more kind of in the area where all the designer toys and art galleries were. So it was a little different. Like the traffic was slightly different in terms of who was going there. 
And then I think after like the second or third year, I tried my hand at being an artist alley and I tabled with a friend of the show and also a music producer for all the music that you hear in this podcast, Buster Moody. Uh, And that was a really interesting experience because like I just, it was very, very different. And uh, I actually sold quite a bit more like actual comics and commissions and stuff like that because people knew to look for that stuff in that area. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was, it was really cool, and I got to meet a lot of creators and a lot of people that I wouldn't have otherwise. Like the first person at that first year C2E2, the first person I met was Alexis Zirit. And, uh, and, you know, I've known him ever since then. He's been a, a really solid kind of source of uh, advice and, and assistance about a lot of stuff. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. It was, you know, you don't... I, we kind of touched on this before. You don't really need to live in a major city anymore to do anything nowadays because you can network so much online and your online presence um, can really carry you quite a bit, especially if you have enough right, of a following right. just in terms of like, you know, just eyes on your stuff and, and just, you know, interacting with people. I, you know, I've, I don't know about you, Kim. I know this is, we share this experience where there are people like you have online friends you've known for like 10 years plus that are just people right. that you know online. You've never actually hung out with them in life in like real life. Right. Like y'all are just jacked. Yeah, definitely. Y'all are just jacked into the matrix and you're just friends that way. Right. Um, yeah. Tons of people. I mean, you might meet them at a show, but right. it's like yeah, yeah, in yeah. passing real quick. But yeah, most people that I'm friends with online, you're right. They're just online only friends. Yeah. And I mean that, of course, that's something that is only recent because of the internet, but um, right. It's well, actually, no, I think about it. anyway, <laughs> it's what our parents told us to stay away from. Yes. Is what we do now <laughs> is what exactly what we do now. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. that's true. That is true. Um, but I, at the same time, there is something to be said about being in a city or being in an environment where you are, where there is uh, a lot of creative minds just constantly around so mm-hmm. that like if you go to certain events or participate in certain events. And that's another thing too, having access to those types of events. Like you, uh, being from Lakeland, Florida, I can tell you right now, none of that shit's going on in Lakeland. Like Aaron, my buddy, Aaron, who actually was the instructor, um, at the time when I was in like elementary or middle school. So I've known him for quite a, quite a long time now at this point. And he just gotten out of high school at that point. Um, but you know, he's a, pretty i would say established artist at this point right mm-hmm. and uh i mean in central florida alone now i'm not even counting the whole state just central florida alone there's like nothing there for him like he has no one really to like communicate with on a daily basis in person mm-hmm. or hang out with in person or like draw with in person or share ideas or you know um do types like uh, he'll do signings at the comic shops there but like that's few and far between and, and then that's just him doing it, you know, like there's no one really no one else there kind of doing that with him. So I, I think, yeah, a lot can be said of just being in the same space with with other creative minds and being able to bounce off ideas in real time. Um, and you can you can kind of do that online. You can you know, like I know a lot of creators that are do or a lot of artists that are doing um, work via like Skype or. Uh, face to, like FaceTime and stuff like that. And they'll just like chat while mm-hmm. they're working. And it's like, that's about the closest you can get right to that experience. If you don't have that around you all the time, or if you're not in a major city or a place or a hub where, you know, you, you, you be able to be social in that type of way. 
and and also you don't get to fucking like meet new people that you otherwise probably wouldn't know about until three, four, five, ten years after the fact, just because they hadn't got to that point right, in right. terms of like getting their name out and getting a presence online and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Like I know we talked about this before, but like uh, Yewan is a perfect example of this. They're somebody that I met from like Zinefest, and Zinefest to me are like uh, absolutely fucking essential. Like, that's a huge thing. If you live in a city, go to a zine fest if there is a zine fest in you. And I think now they're, they're becoming a little more widespread where you don't have to live in a major city to have access to a, a zine fest or at least one that's nearby. Right. So if you get the opportunity to, I would recommend checking out as many zine fests as you can meet as many people as you can uh, and also support the work because there's a lot of good stuff out there that you won't really find anywhere else, especially not at some other comic convention like Wizard or, or some shit like that. Like, it's just not going to be there. Um, but yeah, Yewan was one of those people that I, I met and got to see their work develop. And even at the time when I first met them, their work stood out. And now, fast forward like three years later, and I see their work cha- um, not necessarily changing, but developing, right? And like kind of progressing mm-hmm. in this really interesting way. And I, it's like, uh, I don't know how to put this. It's, I mean, it's not like one of those like corny things where it's just like, uh, you know, you feel like you are in, like have some sort of ownership or entitlement to it, but it's kind of like, there's a sense of pride in seeing an artist that you saw potential in or knew that they were going to be going somewhere with their work because it was already in, going in, in that place and then seeing it develop and seeing them grow. Right, and that's right. just, it's really satisfying. And it's good to know that artists like that are still popping up. Um, and you know, that, I mean, a lot of that also is because SEIC is here and, you know, Ye Wan attended SEIC. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, you just want to root for the team, exactly. you know, at, no, at no, this point, you know, absolutely. You want to root for the home team, you know, everybody that you have faith in. And Yewan's work is incredible. Um, they're one of my favorite artists just to look at. Like every time they post something new, I'm just like floored. Um, you know, I'm really bad. Like I know you can share people's work through stories. And I feel like such like a mark because uh, every time Yewan posts something, I usually like post it in my story, like share the post so other people can see it just because it resonates that much to me. I just uh, really love almost everything about, you know, their work right now. And then uh, I got that book from them at last year's Chicago zine fest. And like, it's something that I want to do, like, you know, cause there's comics in there, but then there's just like random design elements that don't necessarily, I don't want to say they don't have a place, but uh, in a way, like when I think about a book, I think about it as like laying it out and you can tell that there's definitely that thought process there, but I feel like Yewan takes risks with their stuff and, you know, you'll just have a photo, you'll have like random photo collages, you know, followed by a comic and it's all, you know, printed in this beautiful, you know, with Riso and it's just, you know, I can't put it over enough. Absolutely. And I think a major reason why that is is because i consider them and i talked about this before i consider them an artist first who happens to make comics right like they're Mm -hmm. not necessarily a comic artist in sort of the traditional sense Mm -hmm. i I see them as somebody who's willing to take the comic medium and seize the potential that's in comics and really kind of Mm -hmm. do their thing with it right right i I mean that's something I, i see that and i'm like so fucking jealous like that's what i want to do with comics yeah that i think that's kind of what exactly what you're saying there that's kind of what i meant where like you know I'll, I'll look at their books and it's like things that i wouldn't think about or i don't have the guts to even try yeah. to do 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, and I, a, lo- a I, lot of that is because Chicago also has a pretty rich tradition of like uh, um, alternative uh, experimental comics. So mm-hmm. it, and that's another thing, too, is like being in an environment like that really does go a pretty long way. You know, it's it's one right. thing to just see it online and passing and another thing entirely where you're just like constantly surrounded by it. Yeah. And that's that's where I'm at. You know, on the flip side of that, you know, you're talking about how it's almost a product of its environment here in Kentucky. There's not a comic scene at all, really. I mean, uh, there's Blake, Dylan and I, that's like our crew, you know, Dylan and I live in Louisville mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. Blake lives, you know, South in Bowling Green. But besides that, you know, Ben Sears is, you know, making waves and I oh, think yeah. that he makes really good yeah, shout work out to ben. and, you know, he's in Louisville. Yeah. I know for a fact yeah. he does not listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, Good guy, one a really good cartoonist. I love running into Bennett shows, so I really like his work. But you know, besides that, you don't really have many people creating comics here. Uh, Don Rosa lives here, the guy who drew all that Donald Duck stuff back in the day. But oh, yeah. you know, he doesn't do anything. I have a funny story for about the scene. That guy. He just lives here. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell it uh, on that another time. <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to tell it, you know, I mean, nah, it's fine. Curious, it's nothing but, like uh, super major or anything. Okay. Yeah. No hot news. Okay. Well, but no, I mean, you know, so it really is just kind of a thing where we don't really ask for like editorial feedback, but, you know, we don't really see each other that often. Um, So we just have a group text and we'll send like what we're working on. And usually we're like pretty supportive to one another and like, oh, man, looks sick, you know, and find ways to compliment it. But besides that, in a way, I think that works to my advantage because I don't really... I make comics in a way that like, I just kind of, I've said it before, but I just make whatever I feel like making at that moment. Um, and I think I don't have any kind of, I don't want to say competition, but I guess it is competition, but it's like healthy, you know, like there's not really much to drive you around here. Like I would guess in Chicago, uh, there's not, you know, there's no real way to be a product of your environment. So in a way the isolated, you know, area of Kentucky when it comes to comics in a way, I kind of like that because I feel like I don't have any kind of pressure to like meet a standard of what's going on around me. Yeah. But also like it really sucks because like, you know, if I mean, I don't think I would like to go to a drink and draw. I've never been to a drink and draw. But if one of those but the fact that you have them is, you know, I think it's cool that like, you know, if that's for you, I think it's cool that you have a place to go where you can, you know, meet with like-minded individuals once a week and also, you know, just draw a little comics. But here, if you try to do a drink and draw, people will be like, what the fuck is that? You know, so I, I don't, I wouldn't go if they existed, but you know, the thought of those happening in Louisville is just like out of this world. It would never happen. So there's just like no community at all. Yeah. I, I think there's uh there are definitely pros and cons to it. And I've definitely experienced the con end before um (laughs) you know being in florida like i said it is absolutely a fucking dead zone still Mm -hmm. uh for like artists that you know want to do really anything creative yeah i don't know man it's you can still i think really the biggest thing that can be said is the fact that now in in this day and age with the technology we have and the internet and whatnot Mm -hmm. um is that you can do way more than what you could before oh yeah definitely while living in a small city or town Mm -hmm. but still there are going to be things that you just can't get to unless you actually live in a city like that right right yeah um but i still think it opens up more opportunities than what people had in the past so you know and i think you know that's one of those things that you know even like i guess i graduated high school at this point 
fucking 12 years ago. So, and I remember thinking I had to move to a big city at that point because I wanted to do art of some kind, whether it was making music or movies or, you know, comics. Actually, at that time, I wasn't even thinking about comics at all, just to be honest. But I thought that I had to move somewhere, a more metropolitan area than Kentucky. But now that just shows how much technology has grown even in that little amount of time. I don't feel an obligation to move to a bigger city. And actually, I don't really think that I would. I mean, it would really be cool to see people that are grinding it out, you know, on a regular basis, but it's just so cheap to live here. And, you know, I'm able to do this with you, you know, once a week. So that's almost like in a way of connecting with somebody in the scene. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would do it now, but, you know, 12 years ago, I felt it was a necessity. So kind of just adding and reinforcing your point that the internet does really just make it so much easier as far as being a creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Now it's, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like how you can view college now. Mm-hmm. It's like not really necessary to get a college degree, but it'll help. Right, I mean, right, it will right, help, right. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, no. So, I mean, I wouldn't move, but you know, if I did move, I would move to Chicago. I've been wanting to move there for 12 years. You know, that's like the only place that I would consider uh, moving when it came to a bigger city. So you guys have a great scene with a lot of history yeah. there when it comes to comics as well. Like tons of history. Yes. Yeah, a lot, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, touching back on on that, there's a really good exhibit right now going on. Actually, I don't even think it's still going on, but it was going on. I missed it. I'm an <laughs> idiot. I don't really leave my apartment. That's another thing. It's like, yeah, you know, I talk all this shit about moving to a big city and how good it can do for you, but also, like, I rarely leave my apartment now other than for my day job. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, man. And maybe when the winter ends, we'll start getting out more. You know, maybe I uh, – even then, I'm probably like, it's too fucking hot. I'm just going <laughs> to <Yeah, stay laughs> uh, not even deal with this. Uh, but – uh, you know, who cares? I don't know. I mean, don't do comics. That's really what we're getting at. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the going back to the history thing, it's like, you know, we have Ware and Klaus and, and right now we we have a lot of contemporary people that are doing some really interesting Is stuff. Is Nick Dern- right? Dern- so, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name right. Nick Dernazzo or Dernazzo, the guy who did Sabrina. Is he in Chicago? I want to say so. Maybe. Yeah. I, I have no what idea. Incredible? I want to say he was from Chicago. Maybe. I don't know. Sorry. Go ahead, though. He could, you know, he could be an Illinois person and not necessarily in Chicago. Right, right. That could be it. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, and there's also, you know, we also, outside of the uh, small press stuff, we also have a lot of, like, uh, you know, Marvel, DC, Big Two, whatever, people in Chicago as well. So, yeah, I mean, you get, you got, it's all kind of across the board, whatever you're into, it's going to be there. I saw an ad. Um, I was in, uh, I don't even know what area I was in. I was in an Airbnb that was right next to a uh, coffee shop called like Black Matter or something like that. It's like a, and they were like selling like black metal coffee blends. Oh, uh, Dark Matter. Dark Matter. Yeah. So I was in an Airbnb next to one of those. So I don't know if that detects where I'm at in Chicago, but down the street was a fucking like, it had this like giant mural of like, I don't know if it was Batman, but it was definitely like Marvel and DC heroes. And it was like comic school. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's oh, that's crazy. Uh, and it was like a little sign in a window that was like enroll for X amount of week classes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a big old waste of money. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I can't tell you what I, mean, I haven't seen anything like that. Dude, talking about here. waste of money, like uh, the Center for Cartoon Studies. Like, I mean, there's so much talent that comes out of that place and goes to that place. But I looked at their tuition and it is ridiculous high, like to the point where it's like, you guys know already based off of the people that you bring in to like be a teacher for a semester how much of a sham comics are and you still have the audacity to ask for more than $15,000 to teach someone how to make comics like 
And that's kind of rooted in independent small publishing. Like it's the greatest work of all time. Like, have you heard of that place? CCS? I have. I mean, the same could be said for uh, any private art school, to be honest with you. Well, sure. But I kind of just feel like, I don't know, man. Like if you go to an art school, you're right. But like the people behind the Center for Cartoon Studies, they know this shit's a scam. Like art schools are usually more like broad, but this is like a super specialized, you know, place that I guess would you could argue would be like an indie comics like factory that are just putting people in debt that they'll never make back on their career. Yeah. But I guess I, that's, again, that's school anyways, I, I guess, you know. Yeah, so. I was going to say, that's just art school in general. Right. You just described the same scenario that pretty much anybody that walks out with a studio art degree of any kind is going to run into. Like, your options at that point are go to grad school, get a day job and continue your art mm-hmm. while trying to peddle your stuff at galleries and trying to get representation or continue the academic route, right? Kind of uh, do like, um, what you like apply for different grants and shit like that. Right. So I don't know. I, it's, I mean, it's all a racket. It's all a fucking racket. Yeah. And I'm not hating on the center for cartoon studies. I would love to go there, but, uh, you know, actually I'm on their site right now. Tuition is 23 grand a year. Um, That's actually cheaper than most art schools, though. Yeah, but fuck, man. Like, I learned everything about comics by just doing it. And if somebody asked me to pay $23,000 to learn what I already know, not saying that I'm perfect. You know, I could definitely learn more. But that's a lot of money, man. I know Santoro, Frank Santoro runs like a cheaper comic school. You just got to live in his house (laughs) for 12 weeks. (laughs) Live in my house. Um, I will teach you comics. I ran into him. I don't even know what he sounds like. Well, I ran into him at uh, CXC, uh, Cartoon Crossroads Columbus, and uh, he gave me a uh, business card. And he was like, yeah, man. He was like, if you ever want to come, he was like, you know, I asked for like, I think it was like something like two or three grand. He was like, I asked for two or three grand. He was like, but all you got to do is just give me a hundred bucks down. And then, you know, you could pay me back as you see fit. (laughs) Sounds like wrestling school. (laughs) Like such a grift, like a clearly, um, that's great. Um, yeah, he was, uh, don't worry, brother. Just, uh, yeah, just, you know, sneak me a couple hundred here and then, you know, we'll, we'll take care of you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, go and make these Xerox comics and you'll sell them and get it to me down the road. But, uh, (laughs) no, I mean, he was nice though when I met him and before I walked away from the table, uh, even though I had driven like four hours to this con cause I just wanted to go. Um, he was like, he gave me a newsprint comic that was like a newspaper and he goes, here, this is for your train ride home. And I'm like, I don't even think we have trains in Ohio. We definitely don't have them in Kentucky, but, uh, yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny after telling me Hmm. that I can give him a hundred dollars to come live at his house for 12 weeks and make comics. I think uh, M.S. Harkness went to the Santoro school. I want to say I remember him posting that they were there. Oh, yeah, I think so, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we need to ask about that next time I see him. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk a lot of shit about art schools, and but I mean, obviously, with something that specific, there's kind of some good intention there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right, you, right. You you could probably learn quite a bit from that that from that program, but. Uh, also you, that's, it's optional. You don't have to. Yeah. So exactly. You, know, you just do what you got to do. I say, don't go to any school ever. It's a, it's a racket. It's a scam. Don't get yourself enslaved to student loan debt. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck don't, the system. don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of, uh, fucking the system, we got to take a quick break. So, uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to touch on a specific conundrum 
within the comic industry that uh, I think needs to be addressed a little more. And that's the weird fixation on comic and TV adaptations and why I think that's fucking stupid. So, you know, we'll, we'll get back to that here shortly um, from, with a word from our quote unquote sponsors. Uh, all right. We'll be right back. To our program. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to go ahead now and talk about comic book movies and TV shows. Everybody loves them. People can't get enough of them. Uh, They are the talk of the town. They're a huge booming industry. People are making hand over fist, just cranking out those IPs, right? What's your your favorite comic book adaptation? Well, frankly, I don't care. Um, I mean that it's it's fine if you like that stuff. I don't. It, I'm not against people liking that stuff. That's whatever. That's fine. Um, but what my main concern is certain comic people, certain writers, mm, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, that seem to think that the pinnacle uh, of making it in comics is getting your IP sold and adapted. And I think that's fucking insane. That's such a low fucking bar. And also just actively discredits the medium. Right? Am I alone in this? In thinking this? Um, I think you bring up valid points. But, you know, kind of like last episode, like, I'm not going to hate on anybody getting money. So, I mean, I think a prime example of this would be like Frank Miller. I do this weird thing where I just like Google celebrities net worth. And a lot of the times my mind is blown <laughs> by how much people Cam, have. That is so weird. <laughs> well, it's like uh, I'll be watching TV or like reading news at work. Yeah. And I'll hear about yeah. like, you know, whatever random celebrity. Cause like I pull up like CNN's website and it has like entertainment news. And I look at that shit too. So I'll be like, Oh, I wonder what Natalie Portman's worth. And you know, you'll look it up and I'll be like, Oh, Natalie Portman is an American actress. That's worth $72 million. Well, I looked up Frank Miller and you know, he was worth like quite a bit. Like, uh, I want to say $30 million and you got to think about it. Like, yes, he was making comics and he's getting a fat residual or not residual. Um, what do they call those checks? Uh, royalty checks from like DC and Marvel. But you know, that guy's paper came from like the 300 movie and then like the sin city movie. Cause he was like, producing it writing it and i mean you know he might have gotten um something for batman batman begins i i feel like 
Maybe, yeah, because the year one thing. Yeah, he's worth $45 million. So, that makes sense. You know, yeah. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you know, the majority of that money didn't come from comics. So oh, right. No, absolutely. I don't want to hate. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I don't want to hate on anybody getting money. Me personally, like, I think the greatest achievement that you could probably get in comics, I mean, I guess it would have to be like an Eisner Award, right? I mean, that's like the comic Grammys. And they do kind of nod in the direction of alternative independent creators sometimes, you know, like they're fair about it. They're not always winning, but I think that's like the pinnacle of comics. Cause I mean, you can make great work all you want and you can sell well and make money and that's going to be awesome. But I mean, I guess as far as being recognized, it'd be an award, but if you're a creator, in my opinion, and you want to turn your stuff into movies and whatnot, go for it, get that money. But it does kind of discredit the medium. Like you said, you know, because the majority of the time people aren't running out and getting the comics that those adaptations are based on. So it doesn't really help our business any, but I guess it helps that creator. So I'm kind of on the fence about that, but I hear where you're coming from. Like I don't make comics with the intention of getting them sold into a movie. Um, I know some people do. I mean, look at fucking Mark Millar. That dude just tries to storyboard his movies out. Yeah, in a or six the, issue book. Those guys that did uh, Cowboys versus whatever Aliens, whatever that whole oh, yeah. that was that was an entire. Did you read about that? No, I didn't know anything about it. But I mean, it just sound. You talking about the Harrison Ford movie, right? Cowboys versus Aliens wasn't Harrison Ford in that? No, you're thinking of Indiana Jones. Thing. No, dude, I'm. <laughs> He's not in that movie, dude. <laughs> you just made that up in your head. You're dude, no, I'm looking at the no, aliens in Indiana dude, Jones. No, check it out, you dude. Cowboys and aliens. Right yeah, I will bet money right now because I've got it right in front of me. Check it out. Cowboys and Aliens is a 2011 American science fiction Western film directed by John Favreau and starring Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford, and Olivia Wilde. Harrison Ford's. What is he? What is his role in it? I never saw him in anything, any of the advertising. Uh, he is Colonel Woodrow Dollarhide, and I think he was in every trailer. <laughs> oh man, I guess I, I guess his like old melty face just kind of like is so just generic to me now. I can't even tell him apart from anyone else. Okay, all oh, right. No, I mean that but whole thing go was ahead the, the tell creators. That story, though, because I didn't yeah, hear the creators about it. Yeah. of that comic basically ordered a bunch of stuff from these comic shops basically padding the numbers right for the sales so that they can mm-hmm. then take those sales numbers to the studios and say look this ip is worth money because people are buying it and then they so made they it were into- like ordering stuff through diamond through shops yeah they they basically found a loophole within the industry to get an adaptation because that was their main goal was getting a movie deal they didn't give a shit about the comic mm-hmm. it was mostly just getting a movie deal right and i mean if anything Props to that. That's a fucking. I was going to say that's a great hustle. Like, that's an thinking, awesome like, hustle. Yeah. How can we get a loophole to make ourselves really rich, and then we could just you know make comics that we like after that? Yeah. No. Well, yeah. I, I agree. No. I mean, again, the main thing I want to clarify this point because I think this might be getting lost here, and also mm-hmm. listeners might be, you know, might confuse my point here. I have zero issue with creators getting money for an IP check, right? Mm-hmm. If they're able to sell off their IP to a studio or some company that wants to, you know, adapt it into a movie or a TV show or make action figures or whatever. That's awesome. Great job. But to look at that and say that's the pinnacle of being a comic creator. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I feel you. That you're not making comics then. Mm-hmm. You, what you're basically mm-hmm. saying is is that the greatest achievement any comic person can get 
is not doing comics. That's a, that's basically what you're saying is do anything but comics. And that's how you get successful. Well, and I think the overall theme of this show, that the thread that runs through it, because it, it gets brought up, is the only way you can make com- make money in comics now is by not doing comics, right? You and know, it, and it but it doesn't help when you have people that are allegedly big names repeating mm-hmm. that bullshit. You know, like I don't, and again, that's only just specific people that are really only doing Marvel and DC stuff, right? Right. right. So they don't, yep. they're not speaking on behalf of comic creators in general, or for the most part, the majority of comic creators and writers and artists and whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that is like very, very indicative of the overall attitude that seems to be carried in sort of pop culture in the mainstream and sort of like kind of the, the overall understanding of the medium is that this is just funny books for kids and movies and TV shows. That's, that's serious adult stuff. Right. You know, right. Uh, and I, it's, it's, it's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I, you're right. It shouldn't be the pinnacle of comics and being a cartoonist in this industry, just knowing that the only way you're going to get money is if a studio dangles a check in front of you to adapt your work, because yeah, you know, book sales would be nice, but I mean, in indie comics, you know, I know a prominent, I don't know them, but, uh, I've talked online with a prominent cartoonist about, being published by fuck it i'll say it fantagraphics and yeah, uh yeah 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 you get a one to three thousand dollar like advance check one to three grand like fuck that i you know that's like working a day job and if you're full-time cartooning that's not going to last long and then they were saying that their royalty checks would come in you know two to four times a year and just be for like you'd be lucky if it was for a grand and this cartoonist is someone that's won awards and is you would think that they would be making way more money than they do. And the only way that they're going to get money is if Netflix probably options their book. You right. know, it's a really right. sad industry. Like, cause in independent comics, I guess you can go image because, you know, they can get you into every shop in America. But I feel like as an independent cartoonist, like, you want to be published. You don't want to get your stuff's not going to get published by Marvel or DC, maybe image. But even now I feel like they have a formula. Like I feel like a lot of the image books that come out now almost feel like they're trying to get optioned by a TV studio or a movie. But I feel like Fantagraphics and drawn quarterly are like the two respectable publishers. And when I say that, I just mean, I feel like it's a pretty widespread thing that most people would, you know, think that you've made it in independent cartooning. If, you were published by one of those two companies. That's not even the case. You don't even make money doing that. It's you got to fucking sell your book from Fantagraphics to fucking Netflix. And it's, yeah, I mean, you're right. That shouldn't be the pinnacle of our career. We should be focused on making the books. And it'd be a really nice world if those books sold enough to where it wouldn't matter if, you know, you had a movie or a film based on your work. Yeah. And I think like if we were using the same language that I see being used about comic adaptations, the same way we mm-hmm. talk about say fiction literature you know like that shit would not fucking fly people would call you out on that right well and like i mean to say to say that oh wow this fucking deadly class tv show is such a huge win for fucking indie comics because now we're getting all these new readerships (laughs) not true and uh it's a huge deadly class is going to sell some trades in barnes and noble that's all that's going to come out of that right and guess what that shit is going to last for maybe a few months Maybe, right. and like, you know, the, the, the one major fucking thing, too, is that these creators and these artists and these, pop, these like people in the industry that peddle this idea 
are also like, well, look, they did a 5% increase in sales across the board. And you're like, 5% of what? Because you're that looking title. at, you're right, you're looking at a title that sold, what, like two to 5,000 copies across, like nationwide. So what mm-hmm. is 5% of that then? It's fucking pennies. That's nothing. <laughs> right. And, and that, to you, that is like a huge win. Like, how fucking low is this bar? Well, I'm sure it's not the it's not the the win isn't the book sale royalty check. The win is the fucking network check. That's the win. No, but they're not even framing and, um, it that way. They're I not guess even I can talking kind of about see... it in that way. They're not saying it's no, a huge right, win right, because right. now I can afford health care that I can understand. Mm-hmm. But to say, oh, this is going to do fucking great for indie comic. No, it's not. There's no correlation whatsoever to fucking comic book adaptations and sales we, in terms of like longevity. Actually, just to let the listeners in, there was a tweet that came out from an author. And uh, I'm going to – what exactly was the gist of the tweet? No, the tweet um, that brought the idea for this whole conversation on the show. It was a tweet. Uh, oh, it was yeah, – yeah, it was Rick Remender. Who has, yeah, who repeats this fucking horse shit all and the time? And it was something along the lines of, uh, like, in five years, the direct market will be creator-owned comics. Like, the majority would be uh, – I didn't I haven't read it in a couple of days, so I forget exactly what it said. But this is kind of what spawned this all because the tweet was kind of – it was kind of shade in a way, you know. But, well, I took it that way because – it did feel like, you know, kind of what you were saying, like, oh, this is the greatest moment of my career. But the greatest moment of your career, if you're in comics, should be a comic. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's like icing on the cake. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to turn down any producer or anything like that. But right. what I love doing is making comics. You know, I went to film school. If I wanted to make a fucking TV show, I'd be trying to work at a movie studio right now. But I want to make fucking comics, you know. So anything that comes from the comics yeah. is great. Right. But for you to be in comics and only work on comics that you feel that you're just trying to get option for a script. I think that's bullshit. Right. So so to give you some perspective, deadly class, uh, for the year 2017 sold roughly about nine to 10,000 comics, uh, or sorry, copies per issue per issue. No, no, no. But think about this. That that's, that's per issue across the board in all 50 States, right? 10,000 copies. Okay, what's five percent of ten thousand? Mm-hmm. That's five hundred. That's that's right. their big win. Whoa. That's that's what was that's what proves that indie comics are going to replace corporate well, owned comics is that they sold five hundred more copies. Wow, how can you look at that and and just not mm-hmm. fucking well, laugh? And, you know, just to put it. You know, in perspective, along the big two, I remember reading an article years ago because this is when Scott Snyder was still writing Batman and they were still doing the new 52 over at DC. Batman was DC's highest selling book and across the nation, it was only moving 250 to 300,000 copies monthly, which don't get me wrong. I would love a fucking comic of mine to move that much. But when you're thinking about like how big of an enterprise and a franchise Batman is, and to think that in all of America across all 50 states on a good month, they're selling 300,000 copies. That's kind of horrible, man. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a lot, but I mean, that's like, if that, that's honestly like for most people are just like, Oh yeah, Batman's selling millions and millions. No, it doesn't even crack half a million. And that's like the best you can get in this business. It's, uh, yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, how many how many copies of Gone Girl oh, were sold? Countless. 
right? And you compare that number to like the last mm-hmm. Batman trade. Uh, you can't even compare the two. And I'm, I'm not even talking about like young adult or all ages Batman. I'm talking about the stuff that is like purposefully made and designed by the editorial team at DC to be super edgy and adult and geared towards that audience. And they can't even fucking do that. Like showing Batman's right, right, right. And they can't even do that. They can't even they can't even push or sell or distribute this fucking comic the right way and and come even close mm-hmm. to some margin of, of, a, of a low percentage of the sales for a book like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I just it, it's just a low. It, it's bar. just it's completely apples. Right, and right. It's just, well, it's just a low fucking bar. Well, and there was that shift. Well, and we've we, well, we've given up since like 08 or 09, I feel like, because there was that shift where like, I guess you would call these guys like the fucking Mount Rushmore of like independent cartooning. Um, it was like when all the big guys like Klaus and Chris Ware and uh, Art Spiegelman, when they all went to like Pantheon. Do you remember that? Everybody got like a deal with Pantheon in like 08, 09. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they had those really nice books. And like you could see you could find like, uh, you know, like David Boring and you could find fucking um, Jimmy Corrigan and you could get uh, Asterios Polyp at Barnes and Noble. And, you know, they were lumped right there with the Batman and, you know, Superman books and everything. But there was like a focus for a while, I feel like, to get comics taken seriously. But that's just kind of fallen to the wayside in the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, with with small press, it's there is no air of like, um, oh, this is how you get successful. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I think everybody in small press can kind of agree that if you if you can get a paycheck getting your your comic adapted into a TV show or a movie that's awesome and it, it yeah. was it was definitely something that was prevalent in the 90s too I mean fuck you can, mm-hmm. the fact that you could turn on your television and watch MTV and see uh, something based off a Charles Burns book to me in 2019 is mind-blowing what happened I don't recall I like so, Charles Burns but yeah what so was that? MTV used to have a show called liquid television. And it oh, was okay, a the cartoon show, like the anthology type show. It was a collection of different, like, um, um, kind of like s- stretched out segments that would be a combination of either like live shows, like live mm-hmm. skits, or you know, uh, traditional animation or stop motion and stuff like that. It was kind of really right. ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. Okay. And one of the bits was Dog Boy, which is a Charles Burns book, mm-hmm. and it's like straight like pretty close to the source material in terms of how they tried to make that translate. I would go back. If you haven't watched it yet, please go check it out. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. The idea of seeing that same approach being applied to something like say, um, you know, black hole or something like that, that would be so Mm -hmm. fucking sick. I'd be, I'd be way ready for that. Black hole is so good. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's really crazy is, I mean, you know, kind of, I mean, granted you're talking about Charles Burns who, you know, arguably one of the the god one of those like yeah you know so and you know even like uh i dan clouds i've seen him like online he like did like a coke can like there was a series of coke cans that he designed and it's just like i don't know if that was just the 90s and everything was like wacky and edgy so like company and also that was pre-internet so they had money to just throw at people but i mean he also had a movie deal because of ghost world oh right right and then they made that art school confidential movie which i still haven't seen yep but, yeah. um, I mean, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I read the short. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, and that would be cool. I mean, like if you want to say like, you know, 
at least it's fucking drawing. Like if Klaus came out in an interview, it was like the highlight of my career was doing six Diet Coke cans. No, like, he absolutely, at yeah, least no. he drew that. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I but, think, you know, if you are a comic artist mm-hmm. or a creator or whatever, and you're doing stuff like that, and like it's cool to get paid and also kind of like, you know, stretch your creative muscles to do something else a little bit. Right. Right. Cause he's like, He's not just writing and drawing at that point. He's also kind of like doing input with like art design and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that's like really cool and fun. I would love to do shit like that. Yeah, too. absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Lo- I would love to do that. But to fucking sit there and say, oh, man, got to got to go to my premiere of my my fucking TV show deal, the adaptation of my comic. And man, this is this is what it means to be a comic artist, guys. This is what this is. If you're a comic writer, this is how you know you made it. It's like, no, <laughs> that's just. You're a that just writer. means you're a spec writer. Yeah. That's all that, that. Yeah, that's all that fucking means, guy. What are you talking about? Right. Like, if you want, just be honest with yourself. Just say you want to go into movies. You just want to do comic. Uh, you just want to do scripting, and 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 script revision and and spec writing. That's fine, and you'll make a very pretty penny doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, like people make forty, fifty, sixty k per script doing just that. So I understand why people want to get into that industry. But don't fucking lie through your teeth about how this is like a big win for comics and how uh, this is the pinnacle of being a comic person. That's like so disingenuous, right? Like, I don't know. I just find that very irritating and sends a very fucked up message to people that are maybe breaking into comics and want to actually do it and then hear this fucking jack off say this stuff and you're just like, oh, then what am I, what am I fucking doing? Then? I, should just, <laughs> I should just go be a comic or I should just go be a script writer or a spec writer or, uh, you know, work, be an intern at some fucking studio or whatever, you know, like that just seems like a more honest way if you want to just make that kind of money and I get why you'd want to do that, but don't dress it up and fucking lie about it. Mm-hmm. It's just weird what is the pinnacle of making comics to you like what would be the ultimate goal what would you be the happiest with as at the end of your career if it was ideally going the if you could dictate exactly how your career went what would that top moment be to you i think it would be one of those instances where it's kind of the same way how like you know how like talk shows will have celebrity guests all the time yeah but every once in a while if they're like a like a top tier director, that's when you Mm -hmm. know they're fucking serious and you'll see them on that show. So something along those lines, I I mean, it doesn't have to be a talk show. I would would never want to be on a fucking talk show, but but in terms of like looking at someone and saying, Oh, this person, I know this person because they make comics, right? Yeah. Same way as when you look at, if you look at a director, like, you know, if you look at someone like David Lynch, it's like, that guy is a filmmaker. He is a director, mm-hmm. right? So it's just mm-hmm. like the same way. It's like taking the medium a little more seriously and giving it some air of legitimacy and, yeah, you know, and not just this like um, completely laughable kid stuff, which it can be. It doesn't all have to be super serious because it's like anything, any medium, uh, you know, can have all these different facets to it, right? Mm-hmm. But to just look at it in this sort of like very two dimensional way, the way we have kind of been sold on how it should be interpreted, um, it's it's super fucking harmful to it, both as an industry mm-hmm. and as an art form, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying, like to me, like I guess you could get an award, like a serious award, and that would be like a pinnacle because at least that's recognition from your work, from your peers. Um, But and that would be cool. But yeah, you know, just being known for what you do, I think, you know, 
just kind of piggybacking off your answer. Yeah, I and, think that is the ultimate end all be all in this racket. Yeah. And being, um, being able to just do that thing and be known for it. And then mm-hmm. also just have that freedom of, of being like, Oh, I can just work on this, this specific thing because that's what I'm known mm-hmm. for. And that's what people expect in terms of like, you know, the type of stuff I'm going to produce, but also being able to support myself financially on it. I mean, that would be the biggest right. win. That's yeah, the pinnacle. That's, that's the thing. Making a living Making off a living of it on and the not comics having to go to and work not just having day. to depend on IP yeah. sales. Right, right. IP, and I think like, you IP know, should be even... the fucking IP should be the cherry on top. Not not the entire fucking Sunday. Right, right. Yeah, the icing on the cake kind right, of. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's like a great attitude to have about it, you know, because I think like, you know, I'm not even asking for fucking $100,000 a year. That would be great. But if I could even just make what I make now at my day job, because I live semi comfortably, you know, I've still got fucking bills, but yeah. I mean, like. I'm more financial well off than I've, if I can make what I make Mm -hmm. now off of comics, like I would be so happy because I didn't have to go to work every day. And yeah, I mean, I guess that would be making it definitely. And that would be the best thing is just to be able to provide for yourself off of this passion and hobby art form that we take, you know, so seriously, you know, you know, if I could also, if it came down to it and I could make a living on just my illustrations, I guess that mm -hmm. would be a close second. You know, because at least I'm still kind of using a visual art form to communicate these ideas. You know, it's like right. I'm still able to kind of do that. And that's kind of like what Chris Ware can do. You know, I mean, doing all these mm-hmm. illustrations for the New yeah, Yorker I mean, and whatnot. And I was going to say, we always bring that up that like the money's working for the New Yorker. You know, well, yeah, that's I mean, kinda... the money, to be honest, if you're a comic artist, the money is in illustration. You're going to get paid way yeah, more yeah. on a single image than you will on like a, a 40 to 80 page book that you spent years mm-hmm. working on. Exactly. Yep. The, the fact that, uh, you know, illustrators can make more than a comic artist to me is also like a very glaring uh, example of how fucked the, the comic business is. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And, I, you know, you always hear the same excuses, right? Like, oh, the readership's not there. You know, oh, yeah. like, you know, we're struggling as a business. We're not making enough sales. Um mm-hmm. Which is like, oh, that's right. I, I forgot about that business course where they tell you that if you just don't if you just don't do your job, um, it's fine. <laughs> if you don't if you don't <laughs> sell your product, then hey, you know that's not that's not on you, right? That's the consumer's mm-hmm. problem. I forgot about right. that. Like, no one would use that excuse for any other fucking thing. I I it's just so I, I I'm at a loss, right? I. I Right. At a, at a certain point, you just have to fucking throw your hands in the air. It's like, well, f- fuck it. You know? So, yeah, I, I've already done that, you know. Well, it's yeah, just... I mean, that's why we made this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is just every once a week we get together and just throw our hands in the air and just fucking shout into the void. Fuck it. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. So thanks for riding with us through that gutter gang. <laughs> yeah. We really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is basically a uh, very, very uh, affordable form of uh, health care for us at this point. Yeah, this is therapy. I mean, it's, you know, kind of going back to, you know, at least you could go to a drink and draw and talk about this shit. I know you're not, but this is all I got, man. Gutter gang forever. <laughs> yeah. And with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and close it out. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Uh, we're actually going to have uh, a guest on a buddy of mine, Katrina. Uh, she is uh, also, well, no, she's not from Lakeland. She's actually from uh, Utah um, and is friends of uh, Dylan Drug Dogs. Um, so they, they were they were friends back in the day. So, uh, But she's going to be on. She is currently a manager for a, uh, uh, you know, fairly sized uh, comic chain. 
And uh, that's going to kind of carry us into the topic of retail, um, what it's like on the front lines, you know, what's selling, what's not, uh, what kind of customers uh, she has to deal with, what that interaction process is like, some possible horror stories. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be good to kind of get the perspective of somebody who's really there and seeing it firsthand every day. And, uh, and hopefully she'll provide us with um, maybe some more positive uh, news than I can offer or have offered on this fucking show. And feel free to drop us an email again, gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to dunk on us because we're going to dunk right on you anyway. So, yeah, uh, check us out for next week's episode. Till then, uh, stay fucking gutter.